0: Hi, everyone. It's Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged, the podcast that allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. Let's jump in. Hi, and welcome to episode 80 of Black Tech Unplugged. And on this episode, I'm joined by Ariel Lopez. Ariel is an entrepreneur, career coach, speaker, and innovator in tech. She's the founder and CEO of NAC, a hiring platform that reduces bias in the application process and improves the candidate experience. She also works with the City of Atlanta and Invest Atlanta on technology and innovation. She has over a decade of experience helping startups and brands like Nike, Google, Spotify, Uber, eBay, Bumble, and more build great teams. Ariel is passionate about the future of work and making the job search more human, and you'll hear all about that on this episode. In fact, let me tell you more about this episode because we discuss quite a bit. So, we just start by talking about Atlanta's booming tech ecosystem – and the organizations techies and entrepreneurs can utilize within the city. Also, we talk about the city's connection to capital. So shout out to 2 Chains. I do need you to hit my girl back though, so we can get you investing in the right companies. Okay, furthermore, we talk about Ariel's previous career as a career coach and tech recruiter. She even puts on her career coaching and tech recruiter hat, and offers some gems on how to navigate your tech career during these unique tech times of trying to find a job. Furthermore, she describes how she took her career coaching experience and created her tech product, which is her company, NAC. And as I described before, NAC is a software as a service or a SaaS that allows companies to identify quality talent that would otherwise get overlooked. Lots of gems are dropped. So not only do I hope you enjoy this episode, I hope you share this with a friend, or you write a review for Black Tech Unplugged on Apple Podcasts, or you give me five stars on the platform you're listening to this episode. And also, these episodes are for you. So if you want to hear more of something, hit me up on any social media platform or email me some feedback at blacktechunplugged at gmail.com. Now, let's get it. Welcome to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. I'm joined by Ariel Lopez. So excited to have you. And I'm very excited to talk about the Atlanta tech ecosystem and also your founder journey and the company that you've made. So let's jump on in. So currently, you're working in Atlanta. Tell my listeners what you're doing down there.
1: Yeah. So I moved to Atlanta from New York in 2019, pre-pandemic, At the time, I was very much thinking of where can I go in the country where it's going to be good to do business, it had to be a tech hub, where I can actually do sales. One of the cool things about Atlanta is I think there's close to 20 Fortune 500 companies that actually have their headquarters here, from Delta to UPS to Coca-Cola, just thinking about our pipeline and wanting to sell into enterprise at some point. I think the biggest switch is just the hustle and bustle in New York. And I love the energy there, but Mm -hmm. I need a change. I wanted something a little bit of a a slower pace. Also wanted to at least attempt to save some money. I will say if you are moving to Atlanta thinking you were going to get a house for $250,000, those times have passed. I myself actually came too late for that. So I'm still on the house hunt myself. But there were so many different factors. And I think a very real factor was, where can I go as a Black woman in this country where I actually feel comfortable? So Mm. it's difficult because that's like a short list. Like I lived in Brooklyn. I think Brooklyn is definitely one of those cities. Love DC. But my mindset at the time was like, If I leave New York and go directly to DC, I might as well just stay in New York. There's a big misconception that tech is built in the Valley. So I had a lot of people expecting me to move to San Francisco. And while I love it there and have a lot of friends in the Bay Area and usually there to do work stuff, it just doesn't speak to my soul. (laughs) And I was like, do I actually want to be here year round or is it better just to come in and out when I need to? I mean, it, it was just like all roads pointed to Atlanta. The only other city I considered was Houston. Hey. But unfortunately Houston, not quite there. Fast forward, came here under the premise of just growing that. Recently I started working with the mayor's office in the city of Atlanta on tech and innovation. So It means a lot of different things. There's a mandate to turn Atlanta into a top five tech hub. So I'm working on creating a strategic plan for the city to figure out what does that mean? So uh, how are we supporting startups? How are we supporting founders? How are we bringing in fresh capital to Atlanta so people can grow and scale their businesses? How are we introducing people to non-traditional and non-dilutive forms of capital? And we could talk more about fundraising and how hard it is right now. And if we think about one of Atlanta's own, I love to tell the Calendly story. So the CEO of Callenly raised roughly three hundred and fifty thousand, three hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars, mm-hmm. which actually sounds substantial until you start working in tech and then you realize this is actually nothing at all right um, so he raised a little bit of money and i have my gripes about early stage funding but he already had a product he had revenue talent we had customers like we talk about diversity in tech and our counterparts and how they're able to kind of raise on that idea on a napkin an Adam Newman of sorts and not even that like they have the chance to actually fail publicly and then come back with a new venture right like mm-hmm. we can't even get to failing right so you can
0: barely get in the door just to
1: growing exactly exactly so in Callan Lee's case he was struggling to raise more money So, you know, I'm not him, so I can't speak for him. But from what I understand, he took that money and he obviously put everything into just growing Calendly and he was just heads down. I think Calendly was probably doing five, ten million dollars in ARR before they went back out to raise that A round. But I think of what would happen if they didn't. Mm-hmm. What would happen if Tope, the CEO, was just like, you know what? I'm tired. I'm burnt out. I'm not getting <laughs> the funding that I need to do this. I'm over it. Right? We would not have the product that I would say 90% of us use every single day. I love Calendly. It is a time <laughs> saver. Like I am a number one user and consumer of the product. So... I know there's more calendars here. I know that there's more founders here. They need that first check in. They need that person to take a bet on them. They need that person to say, you know what, this may be risky or you don't exactly look like the last 10 people that I invested in, but there's something about you. There's something about the business. There's something about the purpose, the vision, the mission that you have that compels me to want to do something. And Atlanta needs that. Black founders need that. So I'm boots on the ground trying to make things shake as much as I possibly can. But my hope for the future is that I'm able to create some impact in a meaningful way here. But I want to scale that outside of that. I want to see more Tulsa's. I want to see more cities throughout the US just get the proper resources and be able to get that funding and that access to founders and make sure that
0: we can see these businesses actually meet their potential. And we can dig in a little deeper, but I wanna turn to Atlanta for a little bit. What makes Atlanta special? What is keeping people there and wanting to hustle and actually make it in Atlanta?
1: There's a hashtag, which is also a tagline, but it's kind of a real thing. And that's Atlanta influences everything. And it does, right? If we think about the culture, and I feel like that's what attracts people to the city, first and foremost. So I will age myself, but if I go back to my college days or even post college, listening to the Migos for the first time, you know, like, <laughs> yes. it was just different and it just changed things. And I think if you didn't know about Atlanta before, you knew then. And then people always have people here. Atlanta is just a transplant city, right? So right, right. if I meet people that are actually from Atlanta, I always try to have a conversation <laughs> with them because I'm like, you're one of the last Mohegans. Right, like, right. I want to hear like, what has it been like for you to actually be here growing up and li- like when outcast was a thing. Like, and then, I mean, I think this has a little bit to do with it too, but just like the amount of black wealth that lives here in the proximity to celebrities and athletes. I've had countless encounters flying in and out of Hartsfield. I saw two chains going through TSA and I actually did a mini pitch and I was like two chains are you investing? And he was like <laughs> you know hit my so-and-so person. I was like okay i to keep in touch. I actually need to go ahead and do that. Two chains if you happen to listen to this. <laughs> I need you get her back. And the city needs you, okay? But yeah, the culture is crazy. Black wealth, I mean, of all of the cities in the U.S., like nothing compares to Atlanta in that way. But from a tech perspective, as I mentioned, close to 20 Fortune 500 companies that have a headquarters in Atlanta. We are home to over 40 accelerators, incubators, and co-working spaces, We have over 57 colleges and universities throughout the metro Atlanta area. Like, it's insane. We are number one for tech diversity in the country. So we're not just talking about that. Yeah, not just tech talent in terms of hiring, but also Mm -hmm. diverse founding teams, number one in the country in Atlanta. So I think diversity, inclusion, All of those things that matter to me, not just because of me being me, but also my background. And we're going to get into that a little bit. But I started my career as a tech recruiter. So for all intents and purposes, I was the gatekeeper of sorts. And this is before tech was cool. Like (laughs) Google wasn't on anybody's campus. Like I tell the Gen Z, I'm like, Mm -hmm. you guys are so lucky to have internships with these companies, Right. Done a lot of work with Spotify over the years. We had one event in particular that was focused on HBCU students. And when I tell you the alumni from that program are working in tech, they're at LinkedIn, they're at TikTok, they're at Twitter, I will never call it X. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're on the venture side, they're everywhere. Being able to see that is insane. when I first started recruiting, there wasn't a lot of representation. It's unfortunate that it took George Floyd for people to wave the flag, like, maybe we should do something about this. Pre-George Floyd. I'm like, I don't see enough black faces. I don't see enough brown faces. I don't see enough women. I don't see enough people that come from underserved and underrepresented backgrounds. So what are we doing to fix that? So, I think that underbelly of being the recruiter, being a career coach, seeing the disparity and wanting to dismantle barriers as much as possible just to create that access that definitely led me here. So, everything was a stepping stone to get
0: to this point. That's beautiful. And also, just on the DNI perspective, We know that they're trying to get rid of that now. So we got to make sure that we keep it up. So I want to put your recruiter hat back on. I know you haven't had it on in a while, but put it back (laughs) on. What advice and tips do you have for people? Because right now we know there's a lot of layoffs. There's a lot going on, but you have the expertise. So what advice do you have for people who are going through that struggle right now? It's different. It's
1: a different time. And Mm -hmm. I feel for people because... I don't think it really matters if you're qualified or if you're not. Everyone is getting hit with the BS at the same time. I've talked to folks that have been working in tech for years, and Mm -hmm. they are going through interview processes that are like seven, eight interviews, and they're getting burnt out, and they're exhausted. And then I talk to people that are trying to break into tech, And all they're doing is getting ghosted or getting automated rejections and no one's getting back to them and there's no clarity and it's just confusion. So a lot of that is why I decided to build NAP. We're going to get to that in a second. But in terms of advice, there's a few things that I would tell you to do. And most of them are under the premise of avoiding the black hole. I actually did a talk on this a few years ago. It's unfortunate. The black hole to me is a very real thing. It is every recruiter's inbox and or the system that they use to collect their applications. So what happens typically is you apply for a job. Your resume goes into an ATS, which is an applicant tracking system. The unfortunate piece about the applicant tracking system, some are better than others, but they're just there to house the application. So if you're applying to a Twitter, a TikTok, a LinkedIn, a Facebook, like it's your resume swimming with thousands, millions of other applications. So knowing that that is kind of what you're getting yourself into, I feel like it's so important for you to follow up, to empower yourself. And to do as much as you can to control your own process and your own destiny while you're going through the job search. So I always tell people, if you're applying for a job, if you just hit that, the one hit click apply, if that is the extent of you applying, just assume no one's going to see it. (laughs) Like every now and then you may get lucky and someone will get back to you. But with the way things are right now it's not enough. So you need to follow up on every single application. I would say it's only 50% done until you follow up. And how you follow up is you go on LinkedIn. Luckily, LinkedIn has made it a little bit easier for you to figure out who posted the job. On some of the roles, you can actually see who the job poster is. You need to be sending them a message like, hey, I exist. This is the role that I apply to. Here's the link to it. I would love to have a conversation with someone on your team." When can we make that happen? Push, push, push. Uh, if right. you can't find the job poster, find someone that works in recruiting or talent acquisition. If you can't find one of them, find someone that works on the team of the role that you apply for. So if you're looking for a design role, you're going to look for other people that are on the design team because potentially these are who you're going to end up working with anyway. So I think that's a beneficial thing about, Doing some of that outreach is its only helping you to kind of better evaluate and assess whether or not this opportunity is going to be a good fit for you. A lot of people get into tough job searches and you start to feel like, oh, well, I'll just take anything. And then six months huh. down the road, you're like, oh, I hate this. And now it's time to look for something else, right? Right. So be strategic. Anyone that I coach, like my private clients, Mm -hmm. You don't even get into the job search until we talk about non-negotiables. And non-negotiables are your standards. They're your preferences. There's a lot of parallels between dating and careers. At some point, I will make a series around it because (laughs) there's a lot. But when you are dating, you have a short list of what you're looking for, right? Definitely. So for me, maybe this person is like over six feet. Hopefully they're making six figures. They're working in tech or they're working in another field. Like that is the prototype of what we're going after. So what does that mean? If I'm on hinge, if I'm on Tinder, if I'm on Bumble, I'm not gonna swipe right on someone that doesn't fit that profile. Right. I'm not gonna go sit down and have dinner, even if it is a free dinner and I love to eat, even if it's free, <laughs> I'm not going to entertain it because I know it doesn't align with what I want. Exactly. And I really wish people took that same approach and had that same mindset as it pertains to their careers, because guess what? It has to be a hundred percent remote. Why are we even, why are we applying to the hybrid role? Why, why? If someone reaches out to you and you know they're going to ask you to be in the office three days a week and that is a non-negotiable, you tell them, thank you so much, but I'm not interested at this time, right? Exactly. You have to have those boundaries and stick towards them. So I think coming up with that list of non-negotiables is a really, really good journal exercise that I highly recommend for anyone to do. And just to give you some examples of non-negotiables, I, rem- I mentioned remote work. I think that's on everyone's list right now. In addition to that compensation, I, I think traditionally that's on everyone's list. Like you have a number and if they go belong- below that number, we can't do it. Benefits, wellness, health perks like are they giving you a stipend for professional development are they going to pay for you to go back to school are they going to pay for you to go to this conference how are they pouring into you we need to be mindful of those things and then also just the culture the company itself what is the trajectory that they're on are they doing well is their stock <laughs> in the red like these are all things that you need to pay attention to right and So often I have conversations with people and they don't, they don't, they just kind of apply for whatever and they don't spend the time being strategic about following up and they definitely don't spend the time thinking about their non-negotiables and making sure that they stick to their preferences.
0: That is really great advice, but you mentioned NAC and I want to go back so the listeners know what is NAC and how did you start it?
1: So NAC is... A recruiter's best friend, but I also (laughs) believe it is a job seeker's best friend as well. So we are a talent CRM. We prevent resumes from getting lost in that black hole that I just told you about. Uh, So if a recruiter is using NAC, we auto screen every single application that comes in. We make sure that they're vetted properly, that they go to the right place. We've removed bias in that process as well. Uh, we have a diverse founding team. So we know what it looks like for the job seeker to just get discarded for the wrong reasons. And we want to make sure that that doesn't happen. So automating that screening process is a big part of the product. The other piece of it is on the recruiter front, making recommendations of individuals that they should engage that maybe they wouldn't potentially on their own. So. If you were to apply for, let's say that a product role at Twitter Mm -hmm. and you are a program manager or you're a project manager or you're an operations manager, your resume isn't going to go to the trash just because you don't have products on the resume. So NAC is able to pick up on those transferable skills. We're able to evaluate your previous experience. We're able to Look at things on your LinkedIn profile. Like we want to paint a picture of who you are so the recruiter actually can consider you in the right way. And then improving that candidate experience is just our underlying mission. Right. No one should get ghosted. At a bare minimum, the recruiter should send you something letting you know where you're going wrong, what you can do better. What we recognize is I kind of mentioned this earlier. It's not always a matter of being underqualified. I know people that are overqualified for roles and they still get ghosted or they still get those canned rejections. And I'm like, this is terrible because you're actually too good of a fit for this job. They need to recommend other things that could be a good fit for you. So it's my baby. It is a marriage of all of the things that I have done hopefully well, and the things that I genuinely care about. So, Having that recruiting experience, I know how challenging it is for a recruiter to hire at scale. So for that recruiter at Twitter, if you have 5,000 people that applied to that product job, are you actually going to go through every single application? I highly doubt it right? This is why we rely on referrals, right? Which also feeds into the diversity problem. And, yes. and it's all related to process at the end of the day. So I think we understood that, like, sometimes it's not because the recruiter is inherently discriminatory or racist. It's just because they don't have the time or the bandwidth to do this in an efficient and productive way. And I think that's where NAC comes in. So we wanted to bring a solution to that and just use technology in a meaningful way.
0: And now, was there a certain use case or moment where you're like, okay, I need to make NAC like, I can't wait any longer? Or was it just the culmination of all your experiences, seeing the process, which let's all be real, is not ideal. And there's no new process coming to save us yet. So was it a culmination of things or a certain case where you're like, you know what, I have to pursue this?
1: I feel like it's kind of a mix of both. So from doing the work and I've always kind of had that entrepreneurial bug. Even if I look back to high school, college, I was always starting something. <laughs> <laughs> always knew like I was very much dense. I'm like, I'm gonna leave with something, I'm gonna make something happen. Like We very much take lemons and turn them into lemonade on this side. So I feel like I knew like there's a venture in me. By the time I left GA, the focus honestly was very much just diversity. That was it. I was like, no, all of you tech companies got to do better. And you keep saying you can't find the people. And I don't believe that's true. So we started doing tech events a ton of hiring events and programming we even had our own version of a boot camp at one point to anyone that was involved during that period of time i love you thank you for supporting me in the beginning janelle my old co-founder there were so many of us that were just doing it for the love literally nothing else and we were just figuring it out as we go mm-hmm. i think 2018 is when it started to sit in like, I cannot just keep doing these events and nothing else It is not sustainable. And also, I think there's a bigger problem to solve, right? Like, we saw people coming to our events and getting jobs. So we knew, it's not that these people aren't qualified. But we also knew that even after the event, they were still going to have to go up against that same application process. And run into some challenges. So I think that's where we had that light bulb of like, hold on, what if we kind of focused on that? And what if we chose to build out software around that? So that led to the beta version of NAC and post-beta. We kind of tinkered with it a little bit. That led us into 2020. Everyone knows what happened in 2020. Oh, Um, yes. But luckily... The second half of 2020 was actually really good for us. We went through an accelerator program. We raised a little bit of money. We received funding from Google. That was a full circle moment because Google was one of the first companies that gave us money to do a hiring event like two or three years prior. So we started to see kind of like those old relationships become fruitful. That's more career advice. And I didn't touch on that, but like your net, Work is very much your net worth and the people that you know will open way more doors than you could ever do on your own. So just make sure that you're building and sustaining quality relationships. That is rule number one. But I think since that time, there's a lot that has happened behind the scenes. I somewhat share publicly that we got an offer for a million dollars in the startup world, getting a term sheet is like the biggest milestone you could ever ask for or reach it is the thing you spend hours and months, like figuring out like who is going to lead around, who is going to give us the money. We got our term sheet in, but the terms were bad. So I ended up turning it down. And at the time, it's just like, who turns down a million dollars? Like, girl, you need this money. Damn, we told you. But I'm so happy we did it because if we had, it would have affected my personal ownership. It would have been too much dilution. It would have made it really, really hard for us to raise money in the future. And that's something I'm being more vocal about now. Like All capital is not good capital. You really need to think about what is going to be best for the business and best for your team and only make decisions from that space. But we survived and there's a lot of startups that have closed their doors within the last year. And I pray for the founders because I know what that feels like to work on something and give your all to it. And even founders that have gone on to do more than me, let's say they raised five or $10 million mm-hmm. and for it to not work out, it's just like, well, what did we do this for? But I think the beauty with tech is it's whatever you want to make it. So to anyone that's listening to this and whether you've been a founder for a long time or maybe you just came up with a startup idea, like it will take
0: everything out of you, blood, sweat, tears, but it's so worth it. And you've mentioned lessons learned as a founder, but what's the biggest lesson that you've learned so far?
1: Everything. Uh, (laughs) Know your worth, know your value, be strategic, vet the investors just as much as they're vetting you. Again,
0: similar to dating, make sure you like them. You're always thinking about, do they like you? No, do you like them? Exactly. Exactly. It, It still applies. And I think honestly,
1: one of the biggest takeaways, and I hope to impart this on other founders as much as I can, is. Tie the funding to milestone. There's a lot of people that hear of these big valuations and you just believe, I need to go out and raise $5 million. And if you don't do that, for whatever reason, then you're a failure or the business isn't worth having or whatever. couple of things that's not necessarily true. You don't always need to raise venture capital. I know it's sexy. I know that's what TechCrunch likes to talk about. I know that's what you see on Twitter. You don't really hear about people bootstrapping. But since we're talking about Atlanta, MailChimp, founders of MailChimp have probably had a bigger exit than 80% of any of the tech CEOs that you've heard of in the last decade. And you know why? Because they never raised venture capital. So they walked away and I don't actually need to do that research. So I have the hard number, but yeah, they're good. Ben Chestnut is a-okay. Is <laughs> 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 living happily, okay? And never raise a VC dollar. So just know that it's possible to build a behemoth of a company and do millions of dollars in revenue and have a million dollar exit because let's be real. That's why we're all here. Like, we all want to see those returns, whether it's you as a founder or the investors that are backing you. Um, That being said, kind of going back to tying it to milestones, that allows you to really fundamentally understand what is needed to
0: grow your business.
1: And I don't think a lot of business owners spend enough time thinking about that. So, what are your cogs?
0: Kind of like, if people don't know what cost means, want to spell that out? Oh, cost of goods or services. Mm-hmm. And yes, that's
1: something else like all the acronyms. <laughs> I know them now, but it took a while. Keep doing the work and, and you'll hear all of this stuff. But in tech, often you'll hear what is your burn rate and what is your overhead. So your burn rate and your overhead are basically the same thing. How much money are you spending a month? Where is it going? Whether it be your team and the salaries. Infrastructure, uh, personally, like how much does it? How much does it cost you to just make it run? To make right. the thing go, right? So that's your foundation. Then you have what are the costs to make the thing grow? So what are the costs to make it go? What are the costs to make it grow? So now we're thinking about if you are taking that team from one or two people to ten, who are those first eight hires? Where are they coming from? Mm -hmm. Um, Big lesson, always find people that come from other startups. If you hire someone that's been working at Microsoft, Microsoft has not given me a check yet, so we can throw them out. (laughs) If you hired someone that works at Microsoft and has been there for seven years, right? Getting Mm -hmm. Microsoft money and stability, Mm -hmm. And you think they're going to come run this thing with you that you just came up with two months ago. They may be willing, they may express some interest, but are they going to be your best hire? Probably not. You need people that are driven by risk and have an appetite to do the unknown and are very comfortable in spaces of ambiguity. But I say all that to say you're going to have to grow your team. If you do feel like you want commercial space at some point, how much is it going to cost you to do that? If we're thinking about your product, everyone is using AI now. So granted, there's a lot of free versions of AI, but at the point you like want to build the core of your product with AI or machine learning, there's costs associated with that. So once you start doing all those numbers, instead of that $5 million that we started with, Maybe it's 1.5, maybe it's $750,000 to get you to a specific place. And that's where the milestones come in. So you need to have an understanding of where the money is going, but you also need to know what am I working towards? So if I get that 1.5 million, I grow my team to X amount of people. It gets our product to this place. It gets us X amount of customers. It gets us X amount of revenue. And that is a story that you tell when you go out and you pitch investors. You don't just say, oh, we need to raise money. That's just a given. Why do you need to raise it? And where is the money going?
0: And I feel like you've just given people a secret tip. So I hope that they are listening. (laughs) But one thing I wanted to touch back on is because you mentioned basically chasing the money. Mm -hmm. But I want to break down because sometimes VCs do come to you. Sometimes you network and go to them. I want to give a generalized view of how do you even go about getting any of these funds if you're going to go VC route? Because bootstrapping obviously could be friends, family, et cetera, et cetera. But from a VC standpoint.
1: From a VC standpoint, I mean, luckily, so much information has been democratized and just publicized. Every time I'm on Twitter, I see someone sharing a link to Airtable, a link to Google Sheets, <laughs> yes. and it's literally just a mass list of funds. Mm-hmm. And some of them are really, really good lists to where they like qualify the leads. Right. And actually, while we're on this topic, these are the things that you need to be thinking of when you're vetting investors. So you need to know what their thesis is. Their thesis is what do they invest in? What do they care about? So. NAC is an HR tech company. I do not have conversations with investors that only fund fintech. It does not make sense for me. It's not a good use of my time. It is a terrible use of their time because they're never going to invest, right? If you just start there, (laughs) you're already starting to streamline that list a little bit better than 70% of founders. So what is the thesis? What is the average check size? This is huge, especially for my pre-seed and my seed founders. If you're talking to a fund, I'll use like SoftBank, Bain. There's like these massive, massive funds that say they are now doing early stage investing, but their Mm -hmm. sweet spot is really growth stage companies. And that means they're doing investments of a million, two million, five million, ten million dollars. So if their check size is ten million dollars and you're only trying to raise five million dollars, That is not the person you need to talk to. (laughs)
0: Exactly.
1: It's not going to be a good use of your time or theirs. You need to find people. If we're using that 5 million as an example, people that are probably doing million dollar checks, you are always going to want to find that lead that I mentioned before. The lead essentially is an institutional fund that comes in and says, okay, we're going to price the round at X amount. They set the valuation. They set the tone. And hopefully, if they are leading with enough, not only are they coming in with the capital, but they're coming in with the connections. So they're going to help you fill out that round and close that round with other investors and funds that could be a good fit for you. That's the value of a good lead. That being said, finding a lead for pre-seed and seed is very, very difficult. And I know a lot of founders, they don't even waste their time anymore. So what you may hear of now is something called a party round. So a party round means there's not a lot of structure to the round. I mean, hopefully there's some type of consistency in terms of how you're raising. So if you're raising via a convertible note or safe, and there's general documents that you use to go out and raise money. I'm definitely no expert there. I would highly suggest finding a lawyer that has an expertise in tech that can help you. If not, I love Cooley, that's spelled C-O-O-L-E-Y. They have a ton of free resources and they're one of the biggest law firms in the world. They have a big focus on tech. So when I first started, got started, I went to Cooley to do a lot of research. You need to have an understanding of where they're comfortable writing a check, what they're offering outside of just the check itself. And hopefully that's introductions. If you're doing a party round, then you're probably going to have a good representation from angel investors. You may not have a lead investor, but maybe three or four or five funds all come together to do the deal. So each of them are doing 500K checks
0: to get you to where you need to go. So interesting. I feel like I need to have a VC on the podcast to unlock some of this.
1: Yes, I know. And hopefully they don't disagree with everything.
0: (laughs) Ariel, to wrap up the conversation today, I want to ask a few questions, including let's start with what do you see as the future for NAC? Oh,
1: the future for NAC. I would love to see a world where no one gets ghosted and everyone gets feedback when they apply for a job. That would be lovely. Companies using us to me, like that is achieving the mission of what we set out to do. That being said, I would love to see NAC being used by different industries and different sectors. I could see NAC being used in admissions for colleges and universities. I could see NAC being used on the venture side for anyone that's running an accelerator program. If you think of anything where you're getting mass applications, Mm -hmm. that's essentially what the software is built to do. So, Interested to see these use cases. And then I think a successful exit. I don't know if that means we go public. I don't know if that means we get acquired. Hopefully I walk away with enough to justify all the time and the energy that I've spent building it. But regardless, it's been such a invaluable experience. So I'm I'm
0: blessed just to have been able to do it. Amazing. And I also hope if you are going to exit, you get a big bag on your way out. I (laughs) mean, no point in only going with a dollar, give you all your worth. So All the bags, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And for people who are in Atlanta, maybe moving to Atlanta, and they are looking for resources for either their companies or just tech in general, what do you have for them?
1: So resources... I would say in terms of co-working spaces, I love Atlanta Tech Village, which is based in Buckhead. Uh, there's also the Russell Center for Innovation. It's called Rice, conveniently adjacent to the AUC. Love the Rice Center, but there's also emerging hubs. Georgia Tech does a lot of stuff. Uh, Emory does a lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of the colleges and universities have really cool programs. So I would look into those for organizations. Big shout out to Goody Nation. They actually have a summit coming up and I will be speaking at the end of the month, talk more about Atlanta. But Goody Nation has a solid community of founders. I want to say close to a thousand of us. I'm in their Slack channel all the time. All they do is share resources and most of those resources are funding opportunities. So definitely get on that. Love Mobile Millennial. They're not specific to Atlanta, but... Really helpful newsletter, again, for folks that are looking for funding opportunities for my women. Hello, Alice is probably my favorite newsletter to look for funding opportunities as well. I know we didn't talk about the Gathering Spot, but the Gathering Spot is another co-working space here if you wanted to work there. I know a lot of people that do still work out of the Gathering Spot, so... Atlanta, there's also the Lola, which is our version of the wing. So there's a lot of different hubs in Atlanta, a lot of different organizations. There's ATDC, that's kind of backed by the state, they get a lot of support from Georgia Tech, they have accelerator programs. Um, And then there's all the funds that are here as well, uh, that have their own programs, obviously, they're doing direct investments as well. So get in where you fit in. There's No shortage of resources. I can definitely say that. And Atlanta, at its best, is highly collaborative. I think it's built into the fabric of what works well here. So, as long as you are being vigilant and diligent and doing everything that you can to be visible, then I think you're going to see a good outcome.
0: Amazing. And I love collaboration. So I love to hear that Atlanta is actually collaborating. And I know you didn't think I was going to forget about the gathering spot. And since you bought it up, I'm going to ask a little <laughs> bit of a crazy question. I'm going to have to ask, because we all saw it on Twitter. We all saw it playing out on social media. What happened? That
1: is a good question. I don't know what happened verbatim, unfortunately. Well, actually, fortunately, because I don't need to know. That's not my business. Fair. But from what I understand, there was some mismanagement, there was misalignment. I think that's the biggest thing. And you just have to be careful about who you get into business with. I mentioned all capital is not good capital. So being careful of who you fundraise from. But then I also think just stay true to yourself, stay true to the mission. As you start raising money, that's probably one of the downsides of raising venture capital, the investors are going to have more of a say. Yes, they're not running day-to-day operations because that's you, but they have expectations. And if you have a down quarter, they're probably going to have some suggestions. Worse comes to worse. Think of like a Steve Jobs where they kicked him out and they asked him to come mm-hmm. back. Like Tech is known to have all of these different scenarios. So I think just... Always follow your gut and your instincts and be strategic, but don't sell your soul.
0: Yes. Yes. And Ariel, so I usually leave the last part of the podcast for the guests if they have any other advice that they want to give the listeners. I mean, today we've talked about being a founder, your company's Atlanta tech ecosystem, and even parts of like diversity and inclusion from a recruiting perspective, but what else do you want to leave the listeners with? The floor is yours.
1: Oh, we talked about so much today. (laughs) I feel like hopefully I shared some gems. Some of the things that I said was helpful. I don't think I have anything else that I want to leave people with outside of please stay connected to me. I always suggest folks to reach out to me on LinkedIn because not even that I'm going to get back to you right away because my inbox on LinkedIn is a little bit of a, a trash fire. But once you connect with me, you get access to all of my connections. And I think I have close to 10,000 connections on LinkedIn. Wow. 80% of those are recruiters. And most of them work at really cool tech companies and other types of companies. Um, I just saw... Like I have old colleagues that are at Burberry and Lululemon. People just kind of end up wherever. So connect with me on LinkedIn. In terms of NAC, it's interesting because NAC lives behind the scenes. So as a job seeker, you won't really interact with it the same way you wouldn't really interact with an ATS outside of maybe applying for a job and it kind of takes you through their portal. But we do want to develop more resources for job seekers. So keep your eyes peeled out for that in 2024. And then for me personally, working on a lot of different cool projects, I've been working on a ebook for a little while just to capture all of my tidbits, all of my career advice. My hope is that that launches this fall. If not, that will be a Q1 of next year. Uh, And then also planning a career-focused conference for folks. I think we will do the first event in Atlanta in January or February of 2024, talking to some really amazing sponsors now. So looking forward to sharing some more information about that soon. But yeah, that's it. And then also, I don't really have the time, so I shouldn't say this, but every now and then I do... (laughs) take on clients. I have maybe two or so a quarter. But if okay. you're interested in personalized career coaching, you can go to my website. It's arieldlopez.com.
0: Amazing. And so also when two chains listens to this episode, how <laughs> is he supposed to contact you? Should he email you? Maybe he maybe he has LinkedIn and he can just
1: the chains. if you are listening, have your people <laughs> call my people. And when I say, say my people, I'm talking about me. <laughs> I am here. I am waiting. I would love to connect with you. But no, you could always email me. Email is just ariel at knack.io.
0: Thank you for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the show on all social media platforms under Black Tech Unplugged. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this episode. And if you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a five star review, too. It will help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. Until next time.